This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Stacey West podcast. Uh, I am your host Ben. I'm joined by Jake. How you doing? Now then Ben, how are we mate? I'm all good mate. Thank you. Good to be talking football again after a couple of weeks off. Yes, uh, it, it seems a bit strange not having that kind of weekly footballing chat at the moment. There's, to be honest, there's not been a huge amount going on, but we have had a little bit of news. But we're not here to talk about news uh, today because um, we are joined, very graciously, by Mark Hone. How are we doing, Mark? You okay? I'm all right, Ben. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I'm good. Good. A bit warm, um, but I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, we were just saying off air. It was uh, we, we're recording this on the Wednesday, and it is absolutely sweltering across Lincolnshire at the minute, which uh, is is a bit ridiculous. So, um, as as people that, that you know that listen to the pod uh, are aware, Gaz did a podcast the other day with uh, with Gavin Gordon. We, we've got a few more uh, ex players lined up, so um, this is the next in the sort of little mini series over the uh, over the close season um so yeah uh, we'll sort of jump straight into if it's all right mark um and you know obviously yeah. you know you were at lincoln uh 97 98 um was it 96 you, you came in yeah, to 98? 96, yeah yeah um obviously before then uh career started you know played in the old second division with palace um yeah. And you got to play alongside, uh, or you know, Ian Wright and Alan Pardew, Mark Bright, and, and what was that? What was that like as sort of a, a bit of an intro to to professional football? Because I imagine it was, I imagine it was, uh, it was up there in terms of a, a bit of a baptism of fire, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Palace were my local club. Uh, my dad was been a supporter since he was, ooh, you know, near to grass up. So he, he, you know, he's been supporting them. You know, he's in Australia now, but he, you know, he's been supporting them for seventy odd years. So, uh, you know, it, 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 I, just by chance, I was playing for a Surrey schoolboys uh, and a lad called Bob White. Uh, he was a Surrey school manager, the under fifteens. Uh, I didn't really was affiliated to a football club. I was just enjoying myself playing football. 
thought I was all right. I mean, I got to Surrey schools and, and he just said, well, why don't you come and train with Palace? And at the time, I was trying, I was in, believe it or not, I was a goalkeeper for Bromley and then I had Tottenham ringing me, Charlton ringing me, all kinds of different people ringing me as a, as a goalkeeper, believe it or not. Uh, but I didn't really fancy a goal, I had to be honest. Uh, so, you know, he managed to get me into training with Palace. Uh, I was in a satellite system uh, in a place called Monks Hill, which is just outside of Croydon. Uh, and slowly but surely, I got better and better. I suppose playing with better players, you kind of you just get a little bit better. And then I started a couple of times. I went to the training ground and I'd train with a youth team, even as a 15, 16 year old, leading up to maybe them giving me an apprenticeship. And we were trained separately to the pros. Uh, but even just being in the same field, if you like, it was just, you know, I used to watch these guys play on the terraces with my dad. So to then step on a, a, a training ground with these players walking past me uh, and as a 15-year-old scared, even though I was about six foot, I was still scared, trust me, of these, of these <laughs> imposing players. And yeah, it was, it was just... Like I say, I had to grow up very, very quickly. I had to mature very quickly. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've got a lot to thank for it. Alan Smith and Bob White. Alan Smith, who went to Manage Palace for a little while uh, and, and did various other things. And I'm still keeping contact with a pair of them uh, on Twitter and direct messages and things like that. So I do keep in contact with them. But no, they had, they had a massive influence on being that schoolboy, then going into men's football. Uh, yeah, it was a, a real opener, but really exciting i loved every minute at palace oh good stuff and it, it's one of those where obviously at the minute you know we say that with with lincoln bringing in bringing youth through and and having the the sort of steadier heads at the top i mean how did how did they take to you know the the, the younger players coming through was it kind of was it ever sort of a little bit standoffish or was it always like really welcoming and, and how did you know particularly some of the players that uh that we mentioned you know obviously going to mention Ian Wright again because he, he went on to do what he did but you know were they eager to teach or was it all was it ever a little bit awkward you had to be you had to be a survivor uh right. I mean the banter was brutal uh you know and I've been back to Paris a couple of times and keeping contact with Mark Bright uh, and he says even now it was brutal uh, as a young player. Uh, but they they got a squad there. I mean, you, you talk about Annie Gray, Mark Bright, Ian Wright, you know, Jeff Thomas, John Pemberton. They, they had some really serious winners or wanted to be winners. They were had a hunger because they hadn't quite made it at other clubs. So they needed, you know, they wanted to win football matches. And if you didn't, step up to what they wanted you got absolutely battered uh so yeah it, it was survival first and hopefully you were then given a chance which it was i was fortunate to play a few games uh and in the youth setup we had richard shaw i think he got one england cap john Solarco, uh, gareth southgate was coming through so we had some really good youngsters coming through uh, and you know you know it, it's it, it was tough. It really was tough. And like I say, that transition from being a schoolboy at school, everything's quite nice. You know, mum and dad at home, everything to, to being in a really brutal environment. And you, the first thing you had to do, like I say, was survive. Cool. Well, obviously, you know, you, you, like you say, you, you managed to, to survive for a while there. Um, maybe. <laughs> just about. Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I mean, I got sold to Welling, uh, which... 
in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have gone to Welling. I hope there's no Welling United supporters that listen to this, but I should have maybe stuck it out and gone to a, another professional club. Mm. Uh, but to be fair, Welling were really good non-league clubs, still are. Uh, and I, you know, I've got England non-league caps. I wouldn't have got that if I stayed in the football league. So yeah. A bittersweet move that was. I didn't want to leave Palace, but when he offered money, Steve Coppel said, you know, we were promoted to the first division in the playoffs. He said I wasn't really going to get a chance. So I had to think of family. I had a young son. I had to think of a family. Uh, and well enough for the sign-on fee as well, which I never had at Palace. So there you go. Money talks. Well, there you go. Still does. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, obviously, you know, I was, was going to say, you, you switched on league for a little while afterwards and then um, had a couple of seasons at South End. Um, before signing for for the Imps under John Beck, and um, <clears throat> Gaz mentioned uh, on the pod with uh, you know with with Gav that he did. Um, I think John Beck is one of those people that if you get the chance to speak to somebody that played under him, there will be no shortage of of stories or you know <laughs> <laughs> of tales from from the dressing room i mean obviously we we all know that you know he was famed for getting the, the ball boys to muddy the balls for opposition and all the rest of it but um i mean what what was the time like there and the, the team spirit obviously gav mentioned that quite a bit on the on the podcast with gaz um what what are your sort of overriding memories of of that time um, under John Beck, and you know, are there any particular moments or characters that really stand out for for you? Well, uh, where do you start with this one? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll start with the team spirit because that was second to none. That's probably the best team spirit I've ever experienced in playing football uh, and coaching in football. It was just phenomenal. It was a, a bunch of lads. I wouldn't say misfits because that's probably doing some of them a disservice, but there was, again, it, it, I won't go back to the Palace stage, there was a lot of people that came under John Beck that were hungry, that wanted success, that wanted to play football. Regardless of how it was played, mm -hmm. they wanted to be successful. And he just somehow blended 20-odd players together from all over the country, and we just got on. We just really, really got on. And when we didn't get on... I mean, there was a few training ground bust-ups, but the training was sometimes as intensive as how we played, believe it or not. I mean, it really was physical. It really was, but it was done in the right way. Yeah, things got out of hand a couple of times, but it, it didn't distract from, on a Saturday or a Tuesday, what we wanted to achieve, and that was to win football matches. Uh, so it was, you know, like I say, it, the, the team spirit was immense. I mean, we used to get to the, you know, we didn't have to get to the ground until 10 o'clock, but most of the lads were being at 9 o'clock playing this game in one of the changing rooms, basically called, basically it was a keep me up game in the changing room. And there'd be 30 lads in there trying to keep the football up. And it was, I can't remember what the name of it was, but say it was something like, you know, it, it, it would be a name of an animal, but then you had to do the animal's sound as you like. If you, if you came, it was just one of them. It was just a great atmosphere, you know, and it was absolutely buzzing. Every time we went out to play, every time we went on the training ground, and John worked us, trust me, we were very, very, very fit. You know, I mean, the weights, the running, everything, it, you know, he was, the style of play was awful to play in. Uh, it was awful to watch, I'm sure, at times. Uh, I got injured quite a bit, so I used to watch it and it was, ooh, some of them were, were not great. But 
you know, he just got us going. And, you know, the training was intense, really, really intense. I mean, a quick story. We went to Curtin Lindsay on an, on an army camp. And mm. I'd never been to an army camp. I, you know, I was like, <laughs> what is this about? So we were up at Curtin Lindsay for, I think we were there from Thursday through, no, Wednesday through to Saturday morning or something like that. And I was still living in London at the time. Mm. So we got, we got to the, got to the, Army camp, I don't know, Wednesday, Wednesday lunchtime. So we sat down, had something to eat, which was quite nice. Then we went out onto the training ground, did a bit of running, the usual stuff. Anyway, the agenda was that on Thursday morning, we'd get up, get up at five o'clock in the morning. I'll just leave that with you for a minute. Five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a five in the morning? John Beck wanted us up and out on the training pitch. Where you come out of Curtin Lindsay, where the army base is, there's a pitch just the other side. He wanted us there at five o'clock in the morning. If you weren't there and he got us in teams, if the, one of your members of your team wasn't there, you had a forfeit. And John Beck's forfeits weren't gentle. They weren't gentle. <laughs> they weren't like doing five press-ups, that's it, we're off. It was horrific. So <laughs> we had to be there and, and, and we were given jobs. We had to have footballs, we had to have the cones, we had to have whatever equipment it was. We, were, we, were, uh, we owned those, that equipment. We had to make sure that everything was there. So anyway... You know, five o'clock in the morning, we're at, we're in training kit, running out. Of, well, not running, but we're half asleep, walking out of the army camp. There's obviously guys with the guns and all the, the all the gizmos on the on, on the front, and they're just looking at us, gone out. They're like, "Where are you going?" I said, well, we're training, and they're like, "What? Well, it's five in the morning." <laughs> and like, they just shook their heads. They just could not believe, and that was what he was about. So we would do. Like five, a couple of hours training, go for breakfast, then a couple of hours in, in the morning, bit of lunch, bit of rest, and then we would do army, army what, what what army lads would do. So building stuff and getting people across rafts. And I remember going to this lake with rafts and all the you had to get across this lake on a raft. And I, I'm, wow. I'm looking at Terry Fleming. Terry, Terry couldn't swim. Oh wow! So there you go. So Terry's on this raft. And he can't swim. <laughs> That's what it was about. It was, two, it was team building, it was team bonding, and it worked because it all bonded us together just to think, what on earth is, is Mr. Beck about? But no, he, he, he was a character. I think he was slightly ahead of his time because he had us eating certain things, you know, drinking certain things. He, he kind of got the dietary and the nutrition and everything, but he was ahead, ahead of his time, really, which... Some lads didn't enjoy. Some bought into it a little bit. I sat on the fence with it, really. I kind of, I still had a cheeky couple of pints when I went home. That's for certain. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, you, you mentioned you mentioned Terry Fleming there. I mean, you know, fans of of a certain era. Um, so I do apologise, Jake. This is going to be a bit uh, a little bit indulgent for a minute, but. Um, you know, the, the likes of Terry Fleming and, and Phil Stan and, and those kinds of characters. They're the people that come to mind when you, you know, when I think of that sort of era. Um, was there anyone that, that, obviously it was a bit of a lively bunch by the sounds of it, you know, was there anyone <laughs> that really kind of really stood out in that, uh, in, in that, you know, as the, the sort of the, the major prankster or is there anything, you know, exclusively from the changing rooms that, uh, that you can let us in on? <laughs> There were there were a few. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be PC here. There were a few lads who were not wired upright. Uh, <laughs> John Whitney for certain, he wasn't wired upright. Terry had his moments. 
you know, the, the Phil Stan, he, he could, he was a, they were all characters in their own different ways, but certainly, you know, John Whitney was, he was, I can't tell some of the stories, but so, <laughs> he, he was great lad. Got it. If you want, if you, you know, if you're in, if you wanted a battle on a football pitch, I'd be straight behind him. I literally would be pushing John in front of me going, right, come on, John, we need to sort these people out, but I'll push him out in front. That's for certain. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Terry was another Terry. I love Terry. I love playing alongside him. We play central midfield with each other. And, I, you know, I love playing with Terry. Uh, I've got a lot of time for him. Still see each other occasionally when we play in the, the Legends games. And he still can run. He can still run around as if, you know, he was 30. So I'll tell you a quick story, a very quick story about me and Terry. We played away at Manchester City. I don't remember. We won the first leg 4-1 at Central Bank. And we were going yeah. away from home. To Man City, and they had a player called Georgie Kinclazzi. Yeah. Now, me and Terry were central mid, so we were playing a strict four-four-two. Me and Terry, obviously, John back say, "Look, look, if he comes into the, the area, you've got to try and sort him out." This, that, and the other. Well, me and Terry were fit lads. We can get up and down the pitch. You know, in League Two, we, you know, we we were competitive, competitive. We, we, you know, we could get around the pitch. We could, you know create chances, but more than, more, than, more than anything, we were there to put it about a bit, you know, mm. get, get in amongst it. Anyway, we couldn't get near Georgie and Glasley. Absolutely. I looked at Terry after 20 minutes and we didn't say a word to each other. Normally we had a little bit of, you know, what's going on. I couldn't speak. I was absolutely breathing out my backside, trying <laughs> to chase after George. I couldn't get anywhere near him. And Terry was the same. And Terry was a lot fitter than I had, quicker feet than me. We just couldn't get anywhere near him. And I still, to this day, we, you know, we speak about it and just say, you know, that time when we chased Georgie Clancy for 20 minutes, <laughs> I couldn't get anywhere near him. Yeah. That, it, it, and then that was just how it was. I mean, I remember Grant Brown having an absolute stormer that night and then Gisbert Boss, bless him, uh, yeah. scoring, scoring the only goal. But no. Honestly, so many characters, there's so many. Stevie Holmes, what a great lad he was. Joe yeah. Manette, uh, Gareth Ainsworth, you know, he just, I just could go on and on. Dean Wallin, great lad. You know, I just go on and on about the, the players that we had there. They were just such such a good bunch. And, you know, when we get together now, we still have a little bit of banter. We still, you know, sit and have a beer together and just reminisce. And, yeah, yeah, good times. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's, it is nice to hear that, you know, obviously that there's still that sort of sense of kinship there that's, that keeps everyone together. I mean, before, you know, before Jake uh, sort of goes on to the next question, I, I did just want to bring up, and you've already mentioned it, but that 4-1 against Man City, that for me is, a, you know, you know you have like your core memories when you're a kid. For me, that is a core memory because it was just... Like we went one nil down in like the first couple of minutes, yeah, and then all hell broke loose after that. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, what what was that like going into the changing room after that game? I mean, was it was it sort of a, a pinch yourself what just happened moment, or you know, how, how did how did it how did you guys all take it? Well, I think then scoring that early, it literally was the first minute. I think first phase of play, the first attack in the game, they score from it. And you kind of look round at each other and, and that's when the team spirit comes in. And that's when you start to think to yourself, well, we have nothing to lose now. Let's just go and have a right go at these. Let's just see what they're made of. You know, and, and, and I think it just basically boiled down to us beating them up. 
if I'm brutally honest, we just got in their faces and just didn't. We just smothered them. They just they just didn't know how to react to it. Of course, you know we were hard. We were fair most of the time. <laughs> so he says that with a, a slight yeah, uh, slight smile. It's like a smile on my face, yeah. But we just got, I remember at half time, I can't remember what the score was at half time. It's a little bit of a blur, the game. I just remember scoring early, and then just me, I just looked around and just went, no, we're not having this. Come on, you know, this is not going to be a five or six nil, which people were probably expecting at that point. No, yeah. that is not going to happen. And I just collectively, you know, but I remember at half time, can't remember what the score was, don't know what the score was. Anyway, I remember coming in at half time, and uh, John Beck, John Beck, John never really lost his rag. Uh, he did occasionally, but it was John still that was the one that lost his rag. Good cop, good cop, bad cop, you know the usual stuff. But John said to him, "I remember him. We're just about to go out the second half, and he looked at me and he went, Have you been booked yet, Oni?'" I went, "No." He says, "How come you've not been booked?" I went, "Because <laughs> I haven't, John." He went, "Oh, gaffer, gaffer." He goes, "Right." Next time Nigel Clough gets the ball, you go straight through him and I'll pay you fine. <laughs> and I went, okay. So next time Nigel Clough got a ball, I went straight through. I think it was Nigel Clough, one of them. I can't remember who it was, but basically it was, it was whoever it was that was causing us one or two problems. He just said, right, you had to be booked, go through him. And that's basically what happened. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic stuff. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would, I could go on about that era for, forever but uh, i'm fairly certain you know if if i mention egel Ostenstad, then uh, the, the podcast might be over but um, i i would fall out with you yeah there we go <laughs> so uh, i'll uh, i'll move on to jake if you want to take the next one well ben obviously you got to think there's there's some inch of a certain era that will, will listen to this as well so obviously um mark during your professional career you would have had times where new managers come into the building obviously it's quite relevant at the moment mark kennedy's just walked into the building at lincoln What's it like when, you know, that first meeting, when the when a new manager walks into that room for the first time? What What's really important that a manager get, gets right? What has Mark Kennedy got to walk into that dressing room first day of pre-season next week or this week, whenever they go back and say, what's he got to say to get those players back on side? Well, I, it's a difficult one. It's a good question because they're professionals, so they have a professional job to do, regardless of who the manager is. But obviously, there'll be conversations going on between Mark and the players. You know, we've still got contract stuff going on. Uh, he's obviously going to think about bringing his own players in. He's going to have to assess, you know, the players that he has already there. So there'll be private conversations going on. And it will become apparent, I would suggest, quite quickly who he wants to keep and who he doesn't want to keep within those conversations. So it's about him now trying to get the squad that he wants. But obviously the players that he probably might not want or doesn't fancy for, to play for him, he still might have to keep them on board. So he's got that delicate balancing act of almost saying to a player, you're not really in my plans, but you, you need to make sure that you're on board because you know might this might happen or that might happen. I'll give you an example. I was at Southend and Steve Thompson, Tomo, came in to manage after Peter Taylor. Peter Taylor bought me from Welling. Uh, Peter just played in every game I could do. He really liked how I played, this, that and the other. Steve Thompson came in, exactly the same. I then got injured about three or four games before the end of the season uh, and we stayed up. So I thought Steve was going to take over. He decided he was going to go to Notts County. Uh, and then uh, Ronnie Whelan took over. 
Now, Ronnie Whelan was was the was obviously a Liverpool legend. I, you know, I'm a Liverpool supporter. He was a, he was an icon to me. He was like whoa. Uh, but he really did fancy me, and he made that very, very clear in pre-season where he wouldn't play me in games, uh, and, and he basically just left me out. He wouldn't, you know. So I knew the right was on the wall, but it, it, I, so I played the, virtually the whole season with not playing games under him, and it's very, very difficult. You know, we are human beings as, as ex-pros, as pros. You, you, you're human beings. You're not a robot, and it's very difficult when a manager is giving you inkling, is giving you hints that you're really not going to be part of what's going on. So it's going to be interesting to see how he gets that Jake right within the dressing room to get the 20-odd players, the 22 players, of which I would suggest two or three, possibly four, ain't going to get many games. And he'll get an inkling, they'll get an inkling of that by the way he might, he's in the dressing room, the way he talks to players. So it's, it's a difficult balancing act. But at the end of the day, Mark's got a job to do. And I'm really excited for the new season. I, I think it's two good signings, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's a really good question, Jake. Uh, but I, I think he's, he's got a little bit of a job. Because it's his first job as well. It's his first, you know, as the centre figure of, of a football club, you know, if you like, the manager. You know, he's got to make sure he gets that right early on to make sure that a lot of the squad are with him come the pre-season games, come the pre-season training, and then obviously the first league game. So he's got to make sure he gets most of them players on board. So obviously Mark's already brought a couple of players in, a centre-half and a wide player um, in, in O'Connor and Vernon. If you're one of those players that play in those positions, so you're thinking at the moment, Scully plays on the left-hand side, you've got Jackson, Walsh, who, who, who probably are the two centre-halves at the moment that look a little bit precarious. Um what are you thinking if you're one of the, one of those guys who are, you know, the managers come in just brought these guys with and they're obviously going to get the favour? What What are you thinking if you're? Are you on your phone to your agent going right? Get me out of here. Are you thinking right? If I just stick with it, what like what's the sort of feeling from a, a player's it, point of view? It, dep- it depends. Uh, if it was me, I would go right. Okay. Well, if you're going to bring players in to replace me, I'll show you why you shouldn't be replacing me. So I'll train. I'll try and do a bit extra on the training ground. I'll try and do a bit extra in games. And if it's still not good enough, then the writing's on the wall. Then it's you know contacting your agent, get me out of here. So you know, it, it's it, as professionals, they have to you know, part competition for places is part of of the game. It's part of being a professional footballer. And sometimes it doesn't work for you. Sometimes somebody will come in, replace you, hits the ground running, off they go, and you don't get a look in. That happened at South End with me. So you know, kind of, you you know, you can't kind of know. Well, I'm not going to be playing, so try and get me out of here. Whereas, you know, like you say, with Jackson, with Walsh, certainly they have to play more games. That they have to be fit. They have to have a good pre-season. They have to make sure they get through pre-season without any injuries, without any knocks. Because if you're Mark Kennedy. And you look at their, you know, their game ratio, how many games they played last season, and they're already picking knocks up in training. You're going, hold on a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is where this is where your professionalism has to come in. You have to make sure that you're doing everything you can to make sure the manager notices you, and to make sure that there is competition for places, and that these two new signings aren't just going to be shoo-ins into the starting eleven. They're going to have to work to get in there. Uh, so, yeah. I, you know, for all them players that feel threatened, they have to step up. They have to produce the goods on the training pitch. Yeah, because like you mentioned, um, obviously yourself with, with Tomo at South End, a lot of these players that are in the building at the moment were Michael Appleton players who Michael brought to the football club. 
again, is it is it is there any sort of mentality from them um, that they've seen a manager who who brought them in and played a certain style of football? Is it is it scary when you think that? You used to play in one way, but then a new manager might come in. You know, there's heavily rumoured that Mark might go three at the back, whereas Appleton sort of played three at the back only when he had to. It, what's your mindset going into that? Are you sort of like an open book in, in many ways? You have to be, I think. Yeah, like I say, you know, a lot of the, the Michael Appleton signings, if you like, uh, it's going to be a little bit of, you know, see what happens, you know, see what the conversations are about, see how training goes. You know, like I say, when I signed for Southend under Peter Taylor, he, he loved me. Every time every time I could play, he would play me. Same with Tomo. And then, obviously, come the pre-season when Ronnie took over, it was very quickly, I worked out very quickly that he wasn't going to play me. We went on a tour of Ireland. We had two pre-season games in Ireland, and he, I never got on the pitch. So you kind of know, well, that, well that's it. I, you know, I'm not going to play. So, like, like but the, the bottom line is they're professional footballers. They're getting paid... I would suggest decent amount of money uh, and they have to step up. A new manager's come in. They've got to prove that they're worth what their contracts are and that they're worth being in the squad, being under Mark. And I'm, I'm Mark looking at them and thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to play three, who are those? Fr- who are the first three that I'm going to pick? And that is, that's weeks and weeks and weeks of pre-season. It's pre-season games. To get to the point where we get to Grimsby or to Blackburn, the last two fixtures where I think you have to play what you would consider is his strongest lineups. You don't want to go and get, go to Groomsby and get beat, do you? Let's be honest. <laughs> you don't. And then Blackburn's the last game before pre-season, and and they're going to be a, give you a real test. So, you know, we're talking about it now, but there's you know four four or five weeks before them games. The other games, yeah, he'll throw people on for fifty minutes, seventy minutes, thirty minutes. That you won't get. An, much of an idea. You'll get people who look like they're in form already. You get people that are slow starters, the fitness levels, that they're all going to be different. So it's building up now to that first game of the season on the 30th. But obviously there's a lot to happen before then. I think there'll be a couple of a couple of going maybe and a couple of signing as well. So, you know, I think it will pick up pace as their training and game will. I think off the field stuff will pick up pace as well. Yeah, and, and just a, fi- a final question, really, on sort of manager changes. When you're, you know, the first signing or a signing of a new manager who's coming to the building, how much confidence can that <laughs> install into a, into a footballer? And you know, because you, like you said, you can just go on the run; it can be absolutely mental. But does that influence you throughout the course of a season when the manager's going right? You're my man. I've picked you. You off you go. Just just perform for me. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. You know, if a manager's put faith in you, you know. With O'Connor, it looked like and there was a few clubs interested in him as well. So to get him as a, you know to here as, as a Lincoln player, you know, you, you know, you certainly you don't owe the manager, but you you want to do the best for him, and I think that becomes where you would do the extra little bit, either in training or in games. That you know, you you, you don't want you, the manager that signed you to be under pressure because, like we've just spoken about. Come you know November December, if we're rock bottom and won a game, you know the manager's getting changed, and all of a sudden you might not be the flavour of the month, as some of the other lads are probably thinking now. So you know you want to make sure that you're doing the utmost to get the results, to make sure that you know the manager that signed you stays in the job as long as possible because you know you're safe. So so it, it, it is. It, it's a precarious profession, uh, and, and and it's always interesting in pre-season. Always interesting. Ben, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to pick back up? 
Yeah, so I, I was going to say, obviously, you know, Jake's mentioned about um, when a new manager comes in, the big change um, from from your time at Lincoln was obviously when, you know, when John Beck left and, and Shane Wesley came in. Um, and to me, I think Shane Wesley al- almost seems to be like the forgotten manager of, of Lincoln sometimes. Um, just briefly, if we can, you know, what was that change like? Um, because obviously you've gone from... I don't want to use the term pantomime, you know, pantomime character, but essentially you've got this massive character that is John Beck. And then you've gone to Shane Wesley, who's come in and from the outside, he seemed to be a very, very different individual. Um, but obviously he took, you know, he took the, um, took everybody, well, took the club to promotion that season. So something worked, but you know, what, what was that change like in, in the dressing room? He didn't change a thing. Didn't change a thing. Literally, okay. we did the same routines, we did the same sessions, you know, uh, he, he, uh, they brought in John Finnegan to replace me, I, I was struggling with injuries, and John made a huge difference to us, you know, and that's mm. not to the detriment of me, obviously, but I, I think John made a huge <laughs> difference because, I, you know, I, I was struggling with injuries, I had hernia problems, groin problems, and John came in and made a huge difference to the side because he was more mm. mobile, he was able, with Terry, to get in and around people, a lot better than me, and he was a fabulous player, John. Uh, so I, I think that signing, plus Shane never changed a thing, and I think that's what got us over the line on that last day of the season. Like I say, we, we had a set routine. On a Monday, we would do this. On a Tuesday, we'd do that. Wednesday was a day off, you know, whether we had a game or whether we didn't. You know, Thursday was you know, a, a, a set session again, and so was the Friday. So we every player knew what they were doing. You know, and that I think that came out on the pitch. It didn't. It didn't work at times. The long ball didn't work at times. You know, the opposition would stop your play and would stop trying to do certain things. But when every player knows what they're doing and they know their role within a side, and the side knows what they're doing, we were very, very difficult to play against. And Shane just didn't change it. He just thought, well, it's working. Why are we going to change this? We want a great run. You know, I mean, obviously John got the sack for non-footballing reasons to a degree I think uh, mm-hmm. so you know why would he change it and he didn't uh, and he just carried on yeah Shane was a slightly different character but still a positive character uh, and, and still wanted us to, to go out and, and keep the team spirit and, and, and he got us over the line so fair play to him yeah I mean that, that's the thing from I say from the outside in it he always seemed to be a, a lot more you know much more serious character and much more you know straight laced this is what you do, I'm the boss, and away you go. But it, it sounds like that might have just been a bit of a front more than anything else. It was a little bit. I mean, he, he, under under John, when John was the manager, Shane was, was you know, put your arm around, he would, he would you know, come and talk to you if you had any problems. He was a real, he was a real good assistant, uh, Shane was. And so when he stepped up, I, th- I think the mentality within the players was no different. It could have it could have been John Reams managing us. It could have been you know, mm. you know, one of the fans managing us. It wouldn't have made any difference because we were on a set routine of this is what we do, this is how we do it, uh, and that basically got us promoted. We weren't the best side in the division by a long way, by a mm. long, long way. But we were organised. We were strong physically and mentally, uh, and the team spirit got us. Probably got us. 10, 15 points when we shouldn't have won games, like the Man City game. You know, we could have folded then. If we didn't have the characters, we could have folded and lost 6-0. Mm-hmm. So 
and I, mean, I remember going away at Colchester and uh, we were on a decent run and they hit seven shots against Barry and they all flew in the top corner. We lost 7-1 after Jay Martin had scored the opening goal. And I remember John come in and afterwards and said, don't worry about it, lads. It's all right. We go on to the next game. Put it to bed. Doesn't matter. And that's how he was, John. He, he treated, if we'd have won 7-1, it wouldn't have mattered. If we'd have lost 7-1, it didn't matter. It was the next game. It was the next set of how we were going to set up for the game, how the training was going to be. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, Shane and John were, were characters. That's for definite. Slightly different, but yeah, I, I think the players need to take a lot of credit to getting over the line for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that Colchester game because that was one of my first away games. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> as, as, you know, as a young... We, we honestly as, didn't play that badly. It, no, and I they think they hit everything into the top corner. And Barry, it, bless him, I think he wanted to cry in the dressing room because he just—I like, <laughs> can't get anywhere. He couldn't get anywhere near near the shots. They yeah, he fizzed into the top corners, and he was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I mean, the thing is, for ages I've sat there and I've gone like, I can remember going to the game, and I can remember getting into the ground because I think that was the one we had to basically go through a housing estate to get into the ground. Yeah, yeah. it was like um, an old council housing estate. The ground was sat in the middle of it all. Yeah, it was like you had to go through a row of terrace houses to get That's in it. and stuff like that. But I, I can always remember being there, but I can never remember the result. And I, I didn't really check it to see why. And now you've said that, I can I can remember why. Yeah, um, why you didn't check it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, sort of after the after the playing career was done, um, you, you you sort of did your coaching badges. You 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 know you went through some stuff. Uh, went through all of the the UEFA. Is it UEFA A you've got? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, basically what happened was uh, I was at, uh, I, I got talking. Uh, my my lad played. My Danny played at uh, Wash, Royal Oak Washington Boys on a Sunday, mm -hmm. and uh, he was doing really well. The team was doing really well, uh, and I got then we went. To, we used to go to the pub afterwards, as you do on a Sunday. I was still playing, you know, but I was in the pub on a Sunday, as you do. Sunday lunchtime <laughs> drinking, it's always good. Uh, and I, I, I remember just bumping into Phil Hubbard. And Phil mm -hmm. used to go into the, the Royal Oak in Washington quite a bit on a Sunday. He'd come and watch the games and then go in. And I just got talking to him uh, and then obviously realised who he was and this, that and the other. Anyway, after about a year of doing this, he asked me to go to, to help with him to run a side down at the School of Excellence at Lincoln. So that's how that came about. I didn't have any coaching badges, but Lincoln at the time were trying to get their academy up and running and this, that, and the other. So they put all the coaches through all their badges. So that's how that came about. And I, I coached at Lincoln City for and the School of Excellence for about eight years, I think it was, all the way up to the youth team. I helped Grant out with the youth team for about six months. I did that. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but then just time, job, you don't get paid much as a, as a coach at the Centre of Excellence. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case. Probably is still the case. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just it ran its course, really. So, yeah, mm. but I really, really enjoyed it. Had a great time, great fun with, 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 with a lot of the kids. You know, we had some good kids, had to release the kids, which was tough. You know, you sit down at the end of two-year contracts. So if they sign at 12, you have to make a decision on them at 14. You've got the parents sat there. You've got, you know, you, you, the lad there sat there and it's like, I've got to make a decision on whether they had the next two years, which could lead to an apprentice, or we release them. Mm. It's tough. It's, it's not an easy job. 
And releasing the lads was the hardest thing I ever had to do in that job. I loved the training, I loved the coaching, set up the sessions, but that was really tough to do the assessments and to release somebody and watch this young lad in front of you crumple a little bit. It's 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 not nice, not nice. And then the parents uh, sometimes were disgruntled, shall we say? Some agreed, <laughs> some were disgruntled, yeah. some didn't agree with it. But you, you know that's part of what you did, what had happened. So, yeah, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that. You know, I, I did, I was assistant manager at Sporting with Phil for a little while, uh, became the manager for four months there, but the chairman just, yeah, he, he wanted me to have, he wanted a, he wanted a, a manager that was full time. Uh, and when I didn't answer the phone, he used to stop, he used to keep ringing me and I was at work. You know, he was never going to pay me the amount of money I was getting at work. So in the end, I just thought, I've had enough of you. I can't cope with you. He would bring me three or four times a day. And work was beginning to go, you're on your phone a lot, Mark. And I was like, mm. right, that's it. That's it. That's me done. It's a shame because I've kind of, I've got it going at Sporting. But yeah. yeah. And then I never got, never went back into it. Never got back into kind of coaching or managing uh, because obviously the, the fault I was, I was probation officer. So I was, you know, I was, I was working full time in football. I was never going to get an opportunity to earn the kind of money I do as a probation officer. So I never really went back into it. So, but then obviously I'm sure we'll talk about the radio stuff in a minute, but that's how, that's how my kind of coaching and managerial career was very short, very sweet, but no, I, I, it was very difficult. Non-league is mm. extremely difficult. And if you haven't got a job that allows you to do it almost full-time, it becomes very, very difficult. Mm. I mean, was it, you mentioned there about your time with, you know, with, with Grant in the academy, was was it um, was it ever a, a, like a serious consideration where you thought, I could do this, you know, I could, I could go into coaching or I could go into management full-time or did that sort of, it, it sounds like that experience at Spalding sort of put the brakes on it quite a lot for you. Yeah, it did. The coaching side of things, possibly. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the coaching. I really enjoyed setting up sessions, you know, the phases of play that you do, the shadow play, you know, to get 12, 13-year-old lads that have played, you know, Sunday league, mid-links, to then get them into a shape, to then organise how, they move up the pitch as a unit and how, you know, how they, they set phases of play up and what happens if a cross comes in. So all of, all of that kind of stuff, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and I got a lot out of it. You know, I coached some really good youngsters. A couple of them made the first team at Lincoln. Uh, only, only played a, one, I think one played one game and another lad uh, had a substitutes appearance, I think. So, you know, I, I had reasonable success with it. Uh, but there's, with anything, it's a numbers game. The more mm. kids you have coming through, you know, in, into these academies, they have all satellite academies now where they're at, you know, all over Lincolnshire and everywhere else. That, that they, it's just a numbers game, and and it it leads to false, you know, it. it I, I sometimes wonder about picking up seven, eight year old lads mm. and lasses. And then putting them into the, the affiliation of Lincoln City, what what pressure, what damage that does to a seven-year-old and the parents, the pressure it puts under the parents. And yeah. I'm not sure, for me, I just want a seven, eight-year-old youngster, male or female, to just go enjoy playing football. We, we kick about with your mates. 
And then yeah. after three or four years, when you get to under-11s, under-12s, and you start playing on the bigger pitches, then start looking at a bit of talent and thinking, oh, he or she's not that bad. That's I like that. I like that. But to get them at seven... I, yeah, I, I mean, it's when you see nonsense. I, I do. I, I understand yeah. doing the basics and getting some technique into them at that age. I get that. But I think they can also learn that from being with their mates and playing. Mm. I, I know I might be a little bit old school with this, but obviously <laughs> PlayStations and things like that, a lot of kids don't go down the park anymore and play football with their mates. They're all online doing whatever they're doing. So, uh, yeah, it's just a personal thing I, I i don't think 78 year olds should be affiliated to a football club i just think that's nonsense personally no I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that i mean i think you know you see the the occasional headline of uh you know seven year old or six year old i think i, I want to say i saw somebody as young as like four getting yeah. signed by a you know by a, a a big name club for an obscene amount of money it's just, it's just a numbers point. game yeah and that's all it is it's just that what football clubs are worried about is missing somebody. They're missing mm. a young talent. That's what they're scared of. Are they missing missing a young talent that's going to get the club money, even if it's a 10-year-old? You know, you'd hear about it, don't you? you hear about it, like you just said, that money changes hands for, for youngsters that age. I, I just, I, you know, they've not even hit puberty, half of them. They're not even, they're not even, their bodies haven't developed. You know, their minds mm. haven't developed. How do you know if this seven-year-old, eight-year-old lad's going to be any good at 16. You just don't know. You can have a, an assumption they're going to be all right, but there's so many different aspects of childhood coming up for them. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I struggle with it a little bit. I really do. Yeah. As I say, believe it or not, I was a skinny child. Um, anyway, Jake. <laughs> good reaction, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, man. <laughs> Oh, very me. All right, Ben. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you wanna do you wanna take the next bit? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I will do just to After you recover. Yeah. Um obviously Mike, you, you you've moved you've moved into punditry since you, you you've moved into BBC Radio Lincolnshire. How did that all sort of come about moving moving into that sort of side of it? Right. I, I, what I can remember is Rob Makepeace was doing a uh a twentieth anniversary uh with the 1998 promotion winning squad and he was doing a documentary and he was going to get everybody to the radio station to do their memories to do speak together you know we had little pockets of who was going to be and, and, and in the station at the same time i think three of us at the time went in so he got us through and it was really good fun really enjoyed it uh and i just got talking to rob afterwards uh and, and i just said look i'd like to have a go at this you know i, I don't know if i'm any good but I wouldn't mind, you know, being on the radio a little bit more. So slowly but surely, Rob got me to come on a few shows. Uh, and I, it went from there, really. I just did Friday Night Football with him a couple of times, really enjoyed it. Did me a little bit of research and, you know, how it goes. You just kind of just have a little bit of facts and you think you're really cool when you come out with something. <laughs> yeah, it's just how it is, isn't it? And then and slowly but surely, and then after about, about, after about a year, I think in pre-season one year, he came up to me and said, well, do you want to do games? And then I kind of really kind of, the backside fell out a little bit. I went, what, I need to go to a game and report on it? I'm, I'm quite happy coming into the studio to talk to you and <laughs> questions at me about football. I'm all right with that. But then if I'm going to have to go to a game and 
be on my own with equipment. You know, I was like, oh, God. Anyway, I did it. Uh, I went to shadow. I can't remember who I shadowed, but I went to shadow it. And then I did my first game. Really enjoyed it. And it went from there, really. Uh, I've been doing it, I think, six years now, I think. Five or six years I've been doing it. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, I managed to do a few linking games as well, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, I don't sit on the fence with it. Uh, if I no. see that something's not right, I, I will say it. Uh, you know, I get a little bit stick for that, but I don't really particularly care because I'm paid to do a job and have an opinion, and I will do that. You know, if, if but football's all about opinions anyway, isn't it? You know, you know, if we if we sat all three of us sat down and picked an England side, I bet we don't pick the same eleven. No. So, that, so that's that tells you everything, doesn't it? So it, it's you know, it, it's about opinions, and I like I say, I really, really enjoy. Especially the Lincoln games. I enjoy the Boston games because that's full commentary and I have to commentate for 90 minutes. Whereas the summarising for Lincoln's good because I'm able to really concentrate on the game, see what's going on, uh, look at little things that are happening away from the ball, which people might not see because a lot of people follow the ball. Uh, I don't tend to do that. I try and tend to see what's going to happen. So it's like a game of chess. So what's going to happen in the next two or three seconds once this player picks the ball up. Where's he looking? What's he going to do with it? So I just enjoy doing it. Really enjoy it. Was punditry something you thought, you know, whilst you were playing, was that something you ever thought you might you might go into? Obviously, I'm coming at it from the other sort of point of view, being a young um, journalist. We always think that players sort of hate coming to do interviews and having to talk to the press and stuff like that. Was it, did it ever sort of, in the back of your mind, thinking these guys haven't got a bad gig, I wouldn't mind you know, doing part of that when I maybe retire and the boots up? No, put it bluntly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I avoid the press like, you know, I, I, I think it's slightly different now to how it was when I played. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot more onerous, onerous on, the, on the players to come out and speak about the game, about what's going on, how they're doing, What you know. There's a lot more media attention on the players than there was when I played at Lincoln, certainly. Uh, you know, you, you had one press officer. I think Michael had just started out doing radio commentary w when I was playing. So that's how things have developed, Jake, over probably the last 20 years. Uh, so certainly it, it wasn't something I thought about. Uh, I avoided it when I played. I didn't really want to do it. I just wanted to go and have a beer in a bar and, and, and crack on. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to talk about the game. Once the game had finished, I was get changed, right? I'm in the bar with the lads, let's have a drink, and then obviously go home. So uh but 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 the more say the older i got the more I, I then became around the football club when danny started playing and i would go into the exec boxes and and stuff and then i managed to do a bit of hosting that then started to get my head turning into you know there's a lot more goes on than a football player just turning up at the ground getting changed playing 95 minutes getting 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 changed getting into his car going to the bar going home there's so much more that goes on at a football club that sets the day up, that I got more and more interested with that. So I presume, I think once I did the hosting part in the exec boxes and stuff, I started to think about more about, you know, talking to people about the game, about, you know, not just not just the game, but about the corporate side of what's going on and, and who's doing what. So, yeah, I suppose when I got a little bit older and, and Danny started playing, I started to get a little bit more interest in it. Uh, and like I say, but it, the trigger was that, that, my, uh, Rob Makepeace doing that piece about the you know the 1998 team that got promoted. That's when my kind of interest went. I actually quite like this, mm. uh, and I, and I and I can talk as you 
as you're hearing. Uh, <laughs> and so, but no, it, it's good. I mean, I, I don't do many ers or ahs now. You know, I don't. I haven't sworn yet, so I've not been told off for that. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm doing all right with it. I want to swear. Trust me. There's yeah. A pause after something's happened. You hear a pause. It's me. The, the cogs are turning is to say right what can i say here that's not going to get me the sack <laughs> i think i was the one that saw on the podcast wasn't i ben you about... dropped a, you dropped yeah, a particular swear i did like, i yeah. mean you know we're normally pretty loose with it but the, we, there's a line that we draw and jake yeah. jake stepped over that line <laughs> pretty <laughs> dramatically at one point wow. yeah um, it's, but it's so easy to do it's so easy yeah. to do because it's it's industrial language, of course it is, and around football, that's, you know, but yeah, you have to put yourself in check all the time, mm. and, and thankfully, I've come close a few times, but stopped myself to think of another word, which might be some random word that doesn't make any sense, but at least I'm not <laughs> going to get the sack for it. Now, obviously, you get to go out to, to Boston and games. We're obviously covering them at, at various other levels. It, it, I think it's quite good, isn't it, to go and watch these teams because I often when I'm driving back from Lincoln games I hear you and Mike or you and Rob talking about all the local sides on the radio and I think you're excellent at what you do Mike I think you're very good is it are you enjoying going out and covering games by yourself and there's a bit more responsibility on you rather than perhaps I know you enjoy the sort of the analytical side of it is there a bit more you enjoying the responsibility of, of being on your own yeah, I mean, at Boston, Gainsborough, I've done Stanford as well. There's some really, really good people running them, those football clubs. And, and without some of them people, there wouldn't be a football club there. So it's, I really, really enjoy going to see everybody, having a chat with everybody. But yeah, the responsibilities, because you've got to pick the kit up from the station, you've got to make sure you've got all your equipment. And it's not just a case of just plugging something in. You, you've mm. got to, I won't go into all the ins and outs of it, but there's a lot more to it technical terms in and i'm not very it literate at all I'm, I'm useless if you ask my ask my wife ask my sons and my daughters they're always trying to help me with my phone set my phones up or oh i'd I lose my rag completely so you know i have to have certain equipment and it has to be right but you know you have to be at a certain time at a certain place you have to get the phones and do them the interview do the manager get back up for the two o'clock slot to speak to michael and then you know you, you might have a spare five, ten minutes to go and get a cup of coffee. So it, it's not – it's really good. I really, really enjoy it. Yes, like you just said, Jake, the, 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 the summarising at Lincoln City Games, I really, really enjoy that. I really get my teeth into that. I do a lot of research. But I also enjoy going to Boston. I also enjoy going to games where there's good people. The players are, the players are honest. Technically, physically, they're not as good. But that's because they're playing at that level. But – I've seen some really good games, really excellent games, and I've seen some really rubbish games. But then I can see that at Lincoln as well. So it's it's really it's, I just really enjoy it. I just I just like the banter with everybody. Uh, like I say, I, I keep repeating myself, but there's some really good people running those Lincolnshire football clubs, and they deserve a lot of credit for what they do, paid or unpaid. Uh, yeah, really excellent. I mean, uh, the Boston's Boston's new ground is really, really good. It's really, it's, it's something to behold. It's it's excellent. You know, they've got every, David Newton, the chairman, absolutely nailed it. Absolutely nailed the, the ground. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think the I think the lower that you go, sorry Ben, I think the lower that you go, I, I've worked it 
non-league clubs like AFC Mansfield in the past, the the lower down, the, the more human you sort of realise that footballers are. Whereas you know, go yeah. to a Premier League, they all they all look a bit like robots. Yes. Um, you feel like you can get better content when you're interviewing them because you're more connecting to them on a human perspective rather than you know you're the fifth interview that they've had to do. Um, do you know what I mean? I feel like you get better content for your radio, and then it also gives you confidence to go and and do your job a bit, you know, more yeah. confident. There's an honesty there, isn't there? Sometimes yeah. when you speak to the players, you know, they're not they're not they're not preempted what to say. Uh, they're not told by their manager he's too busy probably in the bar or, or, or trying to sign <laughs> some other player from the opposition. So it, it's a little bit more free text. They they had that freedom to say exactly what's going on. You know, some will still come out with the, the football spill and the, the terminology and all the cliches and everything like that. But sometimes you get a little nugget where they just come out with random stuff, which is brilliant. But like I say, they're not shoved in front of people and said, right, be, oh, by the way, you can't say that or you can say that, but don't say that. You know, you know what about your in- No, don't say about your injury. You can't say that because that's going to lead to that question, that question. So it's, you know, it, it's the non-league is, is a lot more honest in terms of interaction with, with players. Uh, so yeah I, like I say I enjoy that aside as well I enjoy talking to the players after games and getting their immediate reaction uh, some are better than others at it <laughs> some, <laughs> some maybe need a bit more coaching in terms of when you stick a camera or, 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 a, or a phone in front of them as to what they can and can't say and to be fair to them they're very good as well I've only had to delete a couple and redo it after a bit of swear words and stuff I think Luke Shields did it once to me uh, I was a bit tight for, for time and he, he swore and he, oh, sorry about that. I said, right, we we'll have to delete that and do that. But but back at the radio station, they can delete stuff. So if you say, look, you know, he swore after two minutes, 15 seconds, you need to cut that out. They will do that. So, uh, yeah, but like, yeah, I, I, like I say, I, the Boston and Gainsborough and the Stanfords, uh, you know, I really enjoy still going to them. Yeah, I mean that, that that does happen to be fair at the, you know, the high levels as well. Did you see the, um, the championship playoff final? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know the fans deserve a little bit more because you know the past couple of seasons we've been shite. I was like, that's just <laughs> absolutely, no absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, that's just emotion, isn't it? And and, and yeah. forbid that actually, you know, players or after a game like they they don't say that. You know, they they're allowed to say that, and it, and it's yeah, you've got to apologise, of course, but don't cut it out. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. I mean, I. I don't know what what you two what your feelings are on this, but I personally I hate that immediacy of of needing to be having a reporter on the pitch and finding a player and having an interview with them within a minute of the full time whistle. Oh. It's like let them go and celebrate, you know. Like you, you, you like I said, the, the Forest game they've just won promotion to the Premier League. Let them go and celebrate it with the rest of the team. I start so, shouting at the telly when I see things like that. I, I yeah. do actually start shouting at the, the telly and just say, you know, you can see that sometimes when the camera pans around to the and, and they're looking at the players, you can see the rest of the players all celebrating, doing mm. it like running and diving. You, you've got somebody on, a, on the end of a microphone asking questions. Let, let him go and celebrate with his teammates. Do you, yeah. do you not? I know you've got to get the interview, but just let them have that five minutes before you get the interview. Uh, it, it does annoy me sometimes. Yeah, yeah I, I think they're, they're trying to. Are they trying to bring in? Is this right? I'm, I'm, tr- I'm hearing they're trying to bring in interviews at half time with managers and things like that. I've, I've heard yeah. something about that. I just think that's nonsense. I think they've, they've said they want to put people on the touchline more as well. So no, I, just, I, I disagree yeah. with that. I do. I, I just yeah. 
If I was a manager, I know exactly what I'd be saying. <laughs> and it'd probably need to be cut out. Um, yeah, it would be, because I've got a job to do. Don't, don't yeah. speak to me at half time. Yeah, it, might, it might be a little bit better if you're five nil up, but how many games do you see where you're five nil up? It doesn't happen, does it? It's, no. it's a stressful job being a manager of a football club, whether it's at Gainsborough, Stamford, Boston, or whether it's at Lincoln City or, or the highest, highest divisions in the Premiership. It's a stressful job, and you can't. To ask somebody what they're going to say, oh, no, no, I, no just let them, <laughs> let them be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so sort of, you know, we've, we've had you for nearly an hour, so just a couple more. Um, the the next bit, obviously, um, we've got to mention uh, the, the fact that, you know, Danny signed for signed for the Imps and, and you know, pretty much had a, you know, decent playing career at, at Lincoln. I mean, I can only imagine the pride that was there as as a dad watching you watching your son go through um and, and playing professional football for the club that you used to play for um was there you know describe that as much as you can but also is is there a is there one moment where you sort of look at it and go yeah i'm this is the pinnacle for me as as you know as a as a father watching my son play football i think i've got a lot of mixed emotions with with dan at lincoln uh, because of, I think how it how it started, and how it finished, uh, mm -hmm. and that small matter of being relegated in between it, I, I got you know I've got real mixed emotions, immense pride. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I remember driving down to Brentford to play Brentford, and he was on the bench, didn't get on, uh, and then he made his debut on a Friday night against. I think it was Rochdale. Uh, Lee Beavers dislocated his shoulder uh, and Danny was warming up. And then Peter Jackson just called him over and I'm sat there going, oh my word, he's going on. So, um, and, and it was a mixture of crying, elated, you know, just to get yourself on a football pitch as a professional player to make a league debut is, is immense. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, I was in the stand uh, and watched it. Uh, and he had a great game. He did really well. Uh, I think the, the pinnacle for me was the Nottingham Forest FA Cup game. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember to, to speak, speaking to him on the Friday night, and I said, whatever happens tomorrow, whether you win 5-0, you get beat 5-0, you've had a stinker, you've, you know, you've had a great game, make sure you are last off the pitch and you remember every single bit of it. I said, because you're a long time sat where I am, and I don't remember certain games where I've played well or badly, or and I can't remember them. So I said to him, make sure you're last off the pitch. And he had a great game. He was outstanding on the day. They drew 1-1. Uh, it was packed. You know, LNR was packed. It was a full house, I think it was. Uh, and he had an absolute stormer. And I remember, remember sitting watching him, and I cried. I have to admit, I cried at the end because he just had a brilliant game. And I remember him, and he was the last one off the pitch. And I went, brilliant. That, that, that for me, was it. As soon, soon as he'd done that, I thought, whatever happens now, mm. as a dad, yeah, you, you nailed that. Absolutely nailed it. And then, obviously, the relegation, flipping it. Talk about highs to lows. I mean, that, mm. I, 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 that was probably the worst feeling I've ever had in football. And that's through playing, coaching, managing. That was probably the worst day that I can ever recall at a football game. Uh, mm. Watching your son crumple 
distraught. Uh, it meant so much to him, and to watch him, six foot four, turn into a twelve-year-old boy again was horrible to watch. Uh, and yeah, that 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 scarred me. So heaven knows what it did to him. Uh, mm. We don't really talk about it. I think it's too painful for him now, even now. Uh, and then the way he left as well. I mean, we, I mean, he was literally a white. You know, he was a couple of days, probably a week, ten days away from a multi-million pound move to Wolves, and he busted his knee away at Stockport. Uh, and his agent come on the phone and just was devastated, as you can imagine, because he would have earned him decent money, but. He said mm. Wolves were lined up to sign him. It was going to be, I don't, I can't, I don't know the figures. I, I didn't know what the figures were. But he was basically going to Wolves. Uh, and the, on the Tuesday night away at Stockport, he made a stupid lunging tackle, as he calls it, and it, it, he busted his knee. And that put pay to that. And and then, like I say, the relegation came, then Chris Sutton came. Uh, he got loaned out, farmed out to all, all the sundry, like in Barrow and God knows where else. Uh, and it, and he, it was only when he went to North Ferriby, he had a, yeah, to be fair, no, he had a good couple of seasons at Gainsborough. Uh, Peter Swan was putting a lot of money in, so they signed Dan and Luke Waterfall. They were two centre-halves, so mm-hmm. you can imagine a decent side. Terry Hawkridge played in that side as well, so they had a really good team. Got to the semi-finals of the trophy, should have got promoted and didn't, missed out in the playoffs in the last game of the season. Uh, then he went to Ferriby, and that's when he kind of it re-kicked his career. He got promoted. He, he won the trophy at, at Wembley. Uh, so he had three, four great seasons at Ferry. Great, great little club. Great. And you know, had a little bit of money as well under Billy Heath. And they just had a really good squad. And, and he scored the winner in the playoff final against Fylde to get him into the National League. Uh, like I say, won at Wembley. Uh, and then he went to Halifax and it, it went wrong for him there. He, he, he didn't like it. I think, he, I think the Wembley game... Bennett destroyed him. I think winning at, winning at Wembley in an FA Trophy game, as it turned out against Wrexham, and the way the game went and how we played, I remember, I remember talking to me in the, in the summer going, it doesn't get any better than that, Dad. There's no way. Mm. I'm not going to get back in the football league. So where do I go from here as a non-league player to play in a game like that, to play like I did, to win the trophy? Well, where do I go? Yeah. I, I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> And I yeah. think that destroyed him. I think he went to Halifax under Billy, under the National League, played a handful of games and then just completely fell out with love with football and then retired. So he retired at 30. And that was it. He was done. So, yeah, like I said, I'll go back to that relegation day. Wow, that that is something I never want to experience again in football. It was horrendous. I mean, he was in the stands. He, he got obviously got sent off in the second to last game against Oxford away. He got sent off. Uh, mm. I can't remember the centre forward's name, but been around a little bit, and I think he, I think he got Dan sent off. But I'm glad Dan didn't play in it. If I'm brutally mm. honest, it was hard enough watching it, but to play in it and, and suffer that, yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was. A, I know it was a horrible day for the football club, but as a father watching your son, who loved the club, who, who played played for it with a passion, to see him like that, it, it was horrendous. So, thankfully. And hopefully that never happens again to, you yeah. know, either, to either a father or a son or any fan of Lincoln City. We just don't want to go back there, do we? 
let's be honest. Absolutely not. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, things are things are on the up at the minute and uh, yeah. everything's, you know, we're looking good. Um, obviously, uh, Dan, yeah, Dan now is... is uh, the owning uh, the owner of the active arena yeah active arena yeah he's doing that and, and it's it's doing really well for itself mm-hmm. uh so yeah he, he's he's found another niche uh it's really good uh you, you every saturday i get, well not every saturday obviously because of football but most saturdays certainly during the, the close season i try and get down there i don't go as often as i maybe i, I could or should uh but every time i go there there's hundreds of youngsters go there and it's great it's just great they just really involved uh, it's in, interactive for everybody so even two three-year-olds all the way up to, to the older lad other kids and all the, the parents it's really good fun uh he's got another another activity going on there which will be opening up soon which i'm sure everybody will hear about it's an, an indoor play zone uh with all different kind of structures that he's he's built mainly he's built with the help of a few other people but no he's he's, he's going from strength to strength and he's absolutely loving it uh, and it's a great place to go and watch football. Uh, mm. A really good atmosphere, as I'm sure people have seen on Twitter with during the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> I think one scene had to be cut out because of nudity. Now, I have no idea what... <laughs> uh, somebody obviously got clearly carried away. But no, certainly it's a great place to go. It's a great atmosphere because they've got massive high ceilings, loads of tellies. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cracking atmosphere in there. So, yeah, he's doing all right for himself. Oh, that's good to hear. And then, uh, obviously, you know, every so often we'll see a, a charity game coming up with uh, with your name on the team sheet. How 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 is that? You know, getting back out on the on the field and to to quote you from earlier on, do you end up blowing out your backside after about ten minutes? Yes, uh, <laughs> it's it's hard work. The brain wants the brain thinks I'm still twenty five. The body body is a fifty four year old man with a bit of a beer gut. And it's not good. Uh, it's not good a couple of days afterwards either. But no, I, I'm, I've mellowed. I don't go anywhere near any tackles. The physicality scares me now, so I don't go anywhere near it. <laughs> Especially with my eldest son, David, who plays for the British Art Foundation. He's on the opposition and keeps threatening to two-foot me and all sorts. So I don't, uh, <laughs> don't go anywhere near it. I let, I let the two lads sort that out between them. So, you, get, you know, I've got two sons, one on one on one side, one on the other side. So that's always quite interesting, the corners and stuff. But no, uh, I love it. I love getting back with the lads. Just having a, I love the dressing room more than playing now. That's, mm. that's, what, that's what I miss most, I think, is actually the dressing rooms and the banter. Uh, going around, kicking a white thing around the pitch is okay. I can still do it a little bit. I just can't run. I can still pass it. Uh, but no, no, I, I enjoy it. I have my 45 minutes of fame again, uh, but that'll do me. Once a season or a couple of times a season, that's enough for me now. No, yeah, the, knee, the knees, the hips, the back. No. <laughs> <laughs> so most, most people will go, oh yeah, my knee's stopping me, but you just got the laundry list of everything. <laughs> yeah, I've got quite a few. Yeah, I think I don't want to bore people, but I had about six or seven ups on my knees and about six or seven of groin operations. So yeah, it's taken its toll on me. When I get into my fifties, I'm not as agile as I used to be. Definitely, I, I say I don't think there's many that would be. To be honest with you, Mark. No, but, uh, no. um, I think that's probably going to uh, going to about do us. So. Um, Thank you ever so much for sharing your evening with us, Mark. It's been, uh, hopefully, it's been as fascinating for the listeners as it has been for, for myself and Jake. It's always uh, always a pleasure. And, 
yeah, if there's anything else you want to get off your chest or say before we disappear that you maybe wouldn't get away with on Radio Lincolnshire now's channel? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've got stories, but they're going to remain in my head. They won't be coming out. But I'm just looking forward to the season. I think Mark Kennedy, I think it's exciting. I, I, you know, it's going to be exciting to see how he sets the team up. Uh, you know, I'm pleased Michael Abson's got another job, uh, although a little bit surprising. He's in the championship, if I'm being brutally honest, but there you go. Uh, but no, I'm looking forward to the season. Let's bring it on. Let's see see what see what entails. Super thanks stuff. very well, much, Sarah. Yeah, it's been it's been great. No worries, thank you. Um, and yeah, like we say, we will be back uh, soon. There is there is news, but we will withhold it for the time being. Um, and uh, until then, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Mark, and it is goodbye from Jake. around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.